You're listening to What's New with Wired. This episode is brought to you by ShipStation. You know, some things take a lot of work, like sending little robots to far-off distant planets. And just as that's challenging, so too is running a successful e-commerce business, especially when there's so much to do. So I want to introduce you all to ShipStation. Now, I love using ShipStation because of its easy-to-use dashboard, which makes managing orders and printing labels a breeze and super smooth. Oh, and the customer service is just out of this world. It's exactly what you need to help grow your business. Sign up for your free 60-day trial at ShipStation.com slash technews. That's ShipStation.com slash technews. This podcast is supported by Tools and Weapons, the podcast hosted by Microsoft Vice Chair and President Brad Smith. Each episode features insight you won't find anywhere else from the center of the conversation surrounding emerging technologies like AI. Right now on the podcast, you can hear a special episode where Brad Smith lays out Microsoft's vision for a vibrant marketplace driving the new AI economy. To hear more, follow or subscribe to Tools and Weapons with Brad Smith wherever you get your podcasts. Here's today's spoken edition of Wired. L.A. is doing water better than your city. Yes, that L.A. by Matt Simon. The frantic phone calls to the community water center began in the summer of 2014. In the 7,000-strong, unincorporated community of East Porterville, nestled against California's Sierra Nevada mountains, homeowners' wells were failing amid a historic drought. Folks were hauling water from their workplaces or from agricultural wells. Parents were sending their kids to shower at the local high school. Residents with still-functional wells were snaking hoses over fences to nurse their neighbors. People were in dire straits. They were desperate, says Ryan Jensen of the Central Valley's Community Water Center. Elderly people or people battling chronic illnesses that need water to be able to deal with their health issues had no access to it. There was just absolute desperation. In total, the wells at 300 properties had failed, so a local nonprofit distributed 275 gallon tanks, and officials trucked in water. That didn't cut it. On account of being unincorporated, East Porterville only had a handful of buildings connected to the water system in Porterville proper. So beginning in August 2016, workers hurried to connect 750 homes, the last of which tapped into Porterville this past February. East Porterville's situation is extreme, but it is not an outlier. If anything, it is a harbinger. It was only an outlier in the concentration and sheer number of people who lived in a very small area that were affected by this, Jensen says. There's approximately 300 communities in the state of California and more than a million residents who don't have reliable access to safe drinking water. And that's not even counting people who are on domestic wells. California is in trouble. Computer models show that with climate change will come harsher droughts and less frequent, yet more powerful, storms. The state is not ready for this new reality, but one city south of Porterville could teach California how to survive desiccation, Los Angeles. That is not a typo. Agreed, Los Angeles doesn't exactly have a sterling reputation as a responsible consumer of water. After all, in the early 1900s it drained Owens Lake, 200 miles away, materializing a dust bowl in its place and giving local residents the old wah-wah. These days, it imports the vast majority of its water from northern California and the Colorado River to the east at a cost of hundreds of millions a year. But Los Angeles is in the midst of an aqueous awakening. 
setting an ambitious goal to cut its reliance on imported water in half by 2025 by following an increasingly urgent rule of good water policy, diversification. In a nutshell, that means getting your water from a range of sources, rain capture, aquifers, wells, desalination, even right out of the air. A study from UCLA earlier this year even said the city could feasibly reach 100% locally sourced water. To do it, the city is diving into a series of high- and low-tech campaigns that could transform Los Angeles into a model city for water management. Again, not a typo. Art Castro of the L.A. Department of Water and Power stands atop his city's future, the San Fernando Aquifer, which sprawls for 175 square miles. It is essentially a giant underground water tank that can provide some 28 billion gallons of water. Usage fluctuates from month to month and year to year, but in July 2017, Angelenos consumed 102 gallons a day per capita. Behind Castro, tractors push massive amounts of dirt. Dirt to the left, dirt to the right. In fact, this place is nothing but dirt, which is weird considering it's just 25 miles north of downtown L.A. This should be concrete. Maybe a condo complex or two. Concrete, though, is the enemy of Los Angeles's future. Back when the city sprouted, designers laid it out to channel stormwater away as quickly as possible. City Planning 101 SoCal's notorious downpours and flash floods were a menace. There were properties and human lives to consider, after all. Now there's been a shift in that thinking, Castro says. Now we see stormwater as an asset. The answer is this rare empty plot of land, the 150-acre Tujunga Spreading Grounds, laid out in 1930 and preserved as open space to this day. Stormwater flows in, gathering in giant basins and slowly percolating into the dirt and, eventually, the aquifer. When these crews are done excavating 1.9 million cubic yards of soil to consolidate 19 basins into nine deeper basins, fewer berms equals more surface area for soakage, enough water will be captured each year to hydrate an average of 50,000 households. Sure, the LADWP serves more than 4 million customers, so it's but a drip. But the Tuyunga spreading grounds are just the start. A mile and a half away in a frenetic L.A. street is a beautiful median, some nice little trees, some nice little trees, shrubs, and dirt, with a walking path meandering through. That doubles as a spreading ground in miniature. Storm water from the neighborhood flows here and soaks into the ground instead of flowing to the sea. It may only collect enough for 150 households, but that ain't bad for a single median. And the thing about medians is, L.A. has a few of them. The city can duplicate this project wherever the soils are permeable enough to accept water. A storm that dumps one inch of rain will deposit over 8 billion gallons of water on Los Angeles. The LADWP supplies about 160 billion gallons a year. Of course, you're not going to collect all the storm water that falls on Los Angeles. But catchment projects like the Toyunga Spreading Grounds and Green Medians can grab a fraction that would otherwise drain to the sea. And grab the city must. Climate change will not be kind to Southern California. More droughts, more floods, and more warm temperatures all will result in more water when we don't want it, and less water when we do, says Michael Kaparsky, director of the Wheeler Water Institute at UC Berkeley, which means that when Los Angeles gets those rare deluges... It needs to somehow get that water into the aquifer, where it can be drawn on in times of want. 
We understand that we're sitting on a gold mine, Castro says. Not every city is so geologically fortunate, though. A hundred miles south of Los Angeles is the coastal city of Carlsbad, near San Diego. Just off the beach, up a well-manicured hill, sits a nondescript building. Not the kind of place you'd think would suck in 100 million gallons of seawater and turn it into 50 million gallons of fresh drinking water every day. But step inside the Carlsbad desalination plant, and the scale becomes clear. Row after row of stacked tubes loaded with membranes poked full of minuscule holes. Pump salt water through these at a staggering 900 pounds per square inch. For reference, the air in your car tire is around 30 PSI. And you can filter out viruses, bacteria, and of course, salt. This is known as reverse osmosis. Unlike Los Angeles, San Diego isn't sitting on an aquifer gold mine, says Jessica Jones, director of communications for Poseidon Water, which operates the plant. So we have very few local supplies. Having such a high dependence on imported supplies makes a project like this perfect for this county because we'll always need it. For this county being the operative phrase, desalination has been around for decades, yet hasn't really taken off, for good reason. Pumping millions of gallons of water at 900 PSI isn't exactly energy efficient, though that's changing with new technologies. At this plant, they use exchangers that recycle pressure that would otherwise be lost, and they claim it has reduced the energy consumption of the reverse osmosis process by half. San Diego knows full well it has a water diversity problem. Almost all its water comes from Northern California and the Colorado River. Problem is, eight other states get a taste of the Colorado before California. We're at the end of a very long straw, Jones says. Desalination is still expensive, yes. But for San Diego, it could well be a critical fallback if... Say an earthquake cuts off the supply of imported water? That said, desalination isn't for everyone. Where plenty of rain falls, there's not much of a case for spending money to tap into the sea. Still, relying on a single source of water is extremely perilous. Diversification is important for water management in the same way that it's important for your financial portfolio, says Kaparsky of the Wheeler Water Institute. If you bet all your money on one company and that company craters, you're broke. Spread your money around, though, and you can ride out the rough times. Same goes for water. Los Angeles is betting big on catchment, and San Diego diversified its portfolio with desalination. At no small expense, sure, but in the end, San Diego has better prepared itself for an uncertain future. Back up in Los Angeles, they're taking another more contentious step to prepare themselves for that uncertainty, recycled toilet water. For a facility that processes the wastewater of 4.5 million people, the Hyperion Water Reclamation Plant doesn't smell nearly as bad as you'd expect. Until, that is, you start making your way to the headworks, where giant mechanized rakes scoop out inorganic material, cloth and such. The stench is eye-wateringly spectacular. After scooping, Hyperion further refines most of the water until it's safe to pump five miles out to sea, Around 40 million gallons a day, however, flow down the road to the Edward C. Little Water Recycling Facility, where a complex filtering system turns the fairly clean but nowhere near drinkable stuff into water so pure, it'll make you very, very sick if you drink enough of it. More on that in a moment. That level of purity is the result of the very same process that turns seawater fresh down in Carlsbad, reverse osmosis. The water is pumped through membranes, which sort out nasties like viruses and the many pharmaceuticals that come out with urine. It's even blasted with UV light to make sure nothing biological gets through. 
the end product is very nearly pure hydrogen and oxygen, which would actually end up leaching minerals out of pipes, not to mention the human body. If you were to drink enough of that water, it could pull calcium from your bones, says Christiana Daisy, operations manager at West Basin Municipal Water District, which runs the facility. So they actually have to add minerals back in. For now, the purified water doesn't go into customers' taps. Instead, it's injected into the ground to act as a kind of barrier between seawater and fresh groundwater. But the idea is to one day recycle wastewater and put it right back into the system. The industry is moving cautiously, though, given what you might call a considerable ick factor for the public. But hell, if Texas can go toilet to tap, why can't California? Here's the thing, though. You've been drinking recycled wastewater this whole time. Somebody upstream of you is using the water, treating it, and then discharging it back, says USC engineer Amy Childress, who specializes in the membranes that make desalination and wastewater treatment possible. And then that water is treated again and used as drinking water. Are reverse osmosis processes like desalination and wastewater treatment still expensive? Sure, but they rely on technology, and technology generally improves. Membranes will get more efficient, and prices will fall. That'll help more communities diversify their water portfolios, which is an immediate, not future concern. Fresh water isn't always as fresh as you're expecting it to be. There are a lot of places in the U.S. that people wouldn't think have issues with water supply. The East Coast, for example, Childress says, in places where we weren't considering desalination in the past, even if it's just brackish groundwater, we're now maybe needing to desalinate. This could grow increasingly relevant as rising seas begin to infiltrate supplies of fresh groundwater. But maybe pulling water from the ground isn't the only way to go about this. Perhaps you can pull it from the air too. Nets in Chile, for instance, collect fog as drinking water, though the efficiency is only 2% max. But MIT researchers recently developed a system that ionizes fog droplets, making them attracted to mesh, thus raising the efficiency to 99%. And over at UC Berkeley, engineers have concocted a fancy sponge-like material that collects moisture from cool desert air at night and releases it as drinking water when things heat up during the day. All well and good, but technology will only get us so far. We can't just engineer our way out of this one. It's got to be a conservation mindset. Childress says we have to start valuing water more. This is bigger than Los Angeles. This is about fundamentally changing humanity's perverse relationship with water. You don't appreciate water because no one in the developed world really does, save for the residents of East Porterville, which very nearly withered and fell from the vine that is bountiful California. Ultimately, if things were to get far worse, I think we could see this happening in bigger cities, says Jensen of the Community Water Center. But I think the bigger, more likely problem is that wide swaths of rural California may have to pack up and move. Not everyone is as lucky as Los Angeles, with its piles of money and sprawling aquifer, or San Diego, with its piles of money and desalination plant. In the developed and developing worlds alike, those without the means or conditions to diversify their water sources face peril. Water wars will rage, and communities will perish. Those communities fortunate enough to be able to engineer their way toward water security damn well better start thinking about it. Take it from La La Land. It's never too late to change. Want to learn how you can make smarter decisions with your money? Well, I've got the podcast for you. 
I'm Sean Piles, and I host NerdWallet's Smart Money Podcast. Our show features our team of nerds, personal finance experts in credit cards, banking, investing, and more. And they'll help you make the most of your money while cutting through the clutter and misinformation in today's world of personal finance. You'll get clarity on strategies to help you build your wealth, invest wisely, shop for financial products, and plan for major life events. Listen to NerdWallet's Smart Money Podcast wherever you get your podcasts.